Welcome to the Ray of Hope Church podcast. We believe that hope changes everything, so get ready for an encouraging message from the Word of God. We pray that you would receive wisdom and revelation as you grow in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Stand with me. How many of you thought the music was coming from the car? Let me ask that again. How many of you thought the music was coming from the car? Okay, some of you are not voting. How many of you thought the music was coming from the car? Okay, I did too. If you thought the music was coming from the car, you had a false perspective, right? And everybody's got their own perspective. I have one verse I want to read with you. If you have your Bible, this is Genesis 50, 20. And they're going to turn the lights on eventually where I can see up here. Uh, But as for you, you meant this uh, for evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Now, this is the uh, comment by Joseph to his brothers. Would you read this with me together? Here we go. But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Joseph's brothers had one perspective. How many of you know Joseph had a totally different perspective about this? I want to talk to you the last installment on perspectives today, then we're going to move on to something else next Sunday. But I really feel like I I have something that will uh, be life-changing today. You say, well, that's kind of arrogant. How many of you know the Word of God? God is life-changing every day. So pray with me right now. Father, thank you for your mercy and your grace, your goodness. Our ears are open. Our heart is receptive to your word. Speak to us this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Turn to your neighbor and say, I'm glad you're here today. Now turn back to him and say, Pastor is going to get all over your toes. Why do we need to talk about perspectives? Because perspectives shape your reality, and your reality shapes your life. I got this email about, oh, about four weeks ago. This is back in September, and this is from our church that we're partnering with in the Czech Republic. Stanislav Hart is the pastor, and this is what the email said. We lost our place for Sunday morning church and only have three weeks left to find a new one. It's not easy for a church to find a place here, but we keep trusting God. From the list of 20 options, just three are left now, and none ideal. Maybe there is something else we don't see now. Uh, Thank you very much. So here's the email a few days later. After getting a short notice in three weeks to find a new place for Sunday worship, we checked out about 25 different spaces and nothing seemed to work out. And it was less than two weeks before our final Sunday in the current location was. And so we're having to find a new facility. The last facility we tried and looked at did work out. It's nicer, bigger, for the same money, strategically placed in the center of the city. God took us out of our comfort zone and into this place, making space for new people to come. The room that we had only seated about 90 people was crowded some Sundays. The new one has a removable partition wall, seating. 120 people, a stage, plus about 50 to 60 more if the walls are removed as we keep growing. Until we fill it, we want to take steps to build our own worship center at our property. God keeps moving. Honestly, I'm so happy I received this 
And it was a tough test, but the outcome was so awesome. Thank you guys for every single prayer in your love. You see, sometimes God puts us into position, we think it's awful. How many of you know God's setting you up for something better? But it's how you view it. God, this is, this is horrible, but God is saying, no, if you'll hang on here, I'm going to make this better for you, but it just depends on how you see it. Pablo Picasso, how many remember him? He was the impressionist, the, the artist that was very abstract. I mean, he didn't paint reality, but he painted realities. He saw it. So an art critic asked him, and they said, why don't you paint pictures of how things really are. And Picasso says, well, I don't know really what that would look like. So the art critic reached into his wallet, pulled out a picture of his wife, and said this, here's how she really is. And Picasso replied, she's rather small and flat, isn't she? It's how you perceive it, your perspective. An English professor went to the blackboard, wrote these words, and this is the the, uh, the objective and the challenge. The, the line was, Women without, a woman without her man is a savage. So she said, students come up and repunctuate this sentence. So the men wrote, woman without her man is a savage. The women wrote, woman without her man is a savage. <laughs> How many know the words are all the same, but it's your what? It's your perspective, it's how you see it. David Livingston, who was a missionary in the very deepest part of Africa for over 33 years, people would always say to him, we don't understand why you have sacrificed your life, why you go to Africa, sacrifice yourself on the mission field. And this is what he said, I don't see it as a sacrifice, I see it as a privilege. So here's one perspective, here's another perspective. You and I sometimes have difficulty getting the right perspective. In this case, Joseph has a different perspective than his brothers. His brothers see one thing, Joseph sees something completely different. So many times we only see what's happening to us and not what God is doing through us or in us. We have the wrong perspective. So God will intentionally allow things to come into your life to shape you and develop you and to position you. And what we think is persecution sometimes is God positioning us in the right place and we have to have a different perspective. Can I hear an amen? See, God's for you. He's not against you. How many of you believe that? God's for you. He's not against you. But our perspective needs clarity. We need to see clearly so we can avoid the pitfalls of getting blindsided in self-deception. Now, I know you're pretty sharp, but I want to guarantee you sometimes we self-deceive ourselves. We think we see it right. We think we have it right. We think we're processing it right. But sometimes we're not because we don't have the right perspective. I want to give you a few things this morning. If you have a pencil and paper of things that we do that can be self-deceiving and we don't have the right perspective on it. Here's number one. What I do, what I say does not have any consequences. I can do whatever I want to, say whatever I want to. There's no consequences to it at all. How many of you know that's absolutely not true? Let me give you a verse. This is Galatians 6, 7, and 8. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he will also reap. For 
He who sows to the flesh will of the flesh reap corruption, but he who sows to the Spirit will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. Now notice this, don't be deceived. He wouldn't say we could not be deceived if we couldn't be what? Deceived. So he's not saying, well, you might be deceived. He's saying don't be deceived because there's the possibility that you could be deceived. Now, this word deceive, we get it from Latin, which means to ensnare or trap. The Greeks viewed this word a little differently and was to get off course or get off the right path. So either way, that deception's real and it gets us to a place or brings us to a place that we really don't want to be in. Now, one of the things that we have to avoid is this self-deception. And something that happens is that we tend to want to avoid the consequences, but we want to place the blame somewhere else. How many of you ever wanted to blame somebody else for something that happened to you? Okay, nobody here. Um, how many of you have ever blamed somebody for something to try to get the shift off of you? Sure. I said shift. Okay. Now, um, y'all all right? I'm just seeing if you're listening. This is human nature. This is fallen human nature. Now, let me tell you where it started. It started at the beginning with the first couple. God says, don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, correct? And guess what they did? Eve ate, first of all, of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Now, when, when Eve is confronted, th this is something that we're still doing today. The devil made me do it. Okay, in, in unison, here we go. The devil made me do it. Now, the devil didn't make her do it. She did it of her own volition. She chose to do that. Now, the devil will try to tempt you. He'll try to help you do the wrong thing. But I want to guarantee you, Eve did it herself. And so what's she trying to do? She's trying to shift the blame away from herself. Now, Adam comes along. God's looking for Adam. He's over there hiding behind a fig leaf. How many know that's just ridiculous? And, and, and so... God says, where are you? And, and he says, I'm over here hiding. Why are you hiding? Because I'm naked. Who told you you were naked? And uh, so, so he has a couple of things happen to him. His righteousness that he once held, his business with God, it, it's pulled off of him uh, spiritually. But physically, that covering that he had now is removed. So now here he's naked before God, and Adam begins to do the same thing. He begins to shift blame. This is what he said. It was that woman. She made me do it. Now, not only is he trying to shift the blame to Eve, he's, impl he's, he's implicating God. Now, listen closely. It's that woman that you gave me. God, if you'd never given her to me, I wouldn't be in this situation. It's your fault because you gave me the woman. Come on, can I hear an Amen. We have this human nature to tend to blame others. When we make a mistake, we, we want to hold other people responsible, other circumstances responsible, when we don't get our own way or we don't have something happen that we want. If you sow it, you reap it. If you say it, you got to own it. If you mess up, listen, you've got to come to the reality. You can say the wrong things, do the wrong things, and it affects your relationships. You cannot get by with doing things and saying things without the repercussions. Our words, our actions can leave scars and wounds on other people. And you've heard me say this guy who says sticks and stones can break my bones, but words can never 
hurt me, we'd all like to hurt him, wouldn't we? Because we know the reality that we can do things and say things that hurt other people. This law of sowing and reaping is a reality. So whatever you sow, you what? You reap. And whatever you sow, you reap, and you reap in proportion to what you sow. So we have to realize our actions, our words have consequences, and the self-deception of it is we can do that with no consequences. That's self-deceiving. Here's the second thing. We see other people's faults, but we fail to see our own. I see your faults. You may see my faults. But we don't see our own faults. This is how Jesus addressed it. He said, you see your brother who has a moat or a little particle in their eye, and you don't realize you have a log or a beam in your own eye. So it'd be like this. I'm coming up to Randy, and I said, Randy, do you realize you got something in your eye? Randy, there's a little something in your eye there. Can I help you get that out? And I don't realize I got a log in my own eye. And we can be self-deceived seeing other people's issues and never seeing our own issues. And sometimes we think, well, if they would do what's right, if they would get right, then everything's going to go right. But we never turn it inwardly to say, what's my issue? What do I see? Do I only have the perspective out here or can I see the perspective in here? Many years ago, and I try to be very transparent and honest with you guys, Carrie and I, we, we have one of the best marriages that I know of. We have a great marriage. We've been married over 44 years now. It's a great marriage. And many years ago, she came to me, and most of you know this. I've said it to you. She came to me and said, Mike, I've, I've tried to change you, and I'm going to quit trying to change you. And I'm saying, why would you want to change me? <laughs> and she said, I've quit trying to change you. I'm going to start praying for you. So I'm thinking, why would we want to change me? Because you can be self-deceived to see her issues and not your issues. You see his issues, but you don't see your issues. So now we're in this self-deceptive thing of not having the right perspective. We see other people's issues, but we're not dealing with our own faults and our own issues. Can I hear an amen? Now the third thing that we have to watch is this self-deception of Good intentions are enough. Say that with me. Good intentions are enough. James said this when he wrote his letter. He said, don't just be a hearer of the word. He said what? Be a doer of the word. You may have good intentions by hearing it, but if you don't do it, it's incomplete. He also said, if you know to do good, but you don't do it, it becomes a sin. It's not just a problem, it's a sin. So we can have good intentions. We, we can have very good intentions. A friend of mine used to say, because in America we said it, we think we did it. Because we said it, we think we did it. How many of you know, you've got to put actions to what you say. Someone said, one kind deed is worth more than a thousand good intentions. The old preacher Samuel Johnson coined this phrase, hell is paved with good intentions. Uh, most of you didn't know Brother Ben, but Brother Ben, he'd always say when people come up to him and said, I aim to, I aim to, I aim to, he said, quit aiming and shoot. How many of you know somebody that needs to shoot? They're always aiming to. I'm, I'm going to. I'm going to. I'm aiming. So good intentions 
are never enough. We got to move beyond the intention and actually do what we say we're going to do. Here's number four. The fourth thing is, and if you allow me to spend some time here this morning, I fail to see my giftedness and I become envious and jealous, then I compete with your giftedness. Now, the real cause of jealousy is insecurity and the lack of self-esteem, self-confidence. Jealousy is based upon insecurity, the lack of self-confidence, and the lack of self-esteem. This is pervasive in our culture. Technology has not helped us with that. It's made it worse, and you'll agree with me, it's made it worse. This happens in business, it happens in families, and it happens right here in the church. It happens in every human relationship. We have to be careful that we see their giftedness instead of our giftedness. We have to have the right perspective. And when we see their giftedness, then we become envious, we become jealous. Gustav Rossetti said, jealousy and envy are the cause of most current conflicts, both in the professional and personal world. Carlos Zafron said, envy is the religion of the mediocre. It comforts them, it soothes their worries, and finally it rots their souls, allowing them to justify their meanness and their greed until they believe these to be virtues in their own life. Now, let's lighten it up here. Jeff Foxworthy said, I've never been jealous, not even when my dad finished the fifth grade a year before I did. <laughs> Could it be this is the issue with Joseph and his brothers? Could it be that his brothers are envious of Joseph's relationship with their father Jacob? I think that's part of it. Could it be they're envious and jealous of that coat of many colors that showed the favor of their father to Joseph? Now here's the thing, and I want you to catch this. Every one of those brothers had their own giftedness. Every one of those brothers had a purpose. Every one of those brothers had something unique that God put in them. So instead of focusing on their own giftedness, you know what they did? They became envious and jealous of Joseph's giftedness and favor. Let's take Judah. Do you realize Judah is one of the conspirators to kill Joseph? But do you also realize that Judah was going to be the person that the lineage of the Messiah would come through? Instead of focusing on what God was going to do through him, he became jealous and envious of Joseph, and it caused huge problems. How many of you know Levi was one of the brothers? Do you understand that God was going to bring all the priests out of the loins of Levi? But instead of focusing on what God was going to do with him and his giftedness, he became envious and jealous of Joseph. So this family conflict, how many of you know business sometimes kind of a family? The, the, uh, the, the real family, your, your brothers, your sisters, mom and dads, and, and the extended family. Church is a family. You see, this whole thing can throw the family into a, a real spin because we focus on your giftedness and we don't focus on our giftedness. Now, can I, can I stay here just for a little bit? Okay, three people said it was all right. So what do we do? We have to become more self-aware of ourselves. Sometimes it is a visible 
It is a real thing that we understand, but we're doing it anyway. Sometimes it's a spiritual nuance that we have slipped away from, and sometimes it is subconscious that we're doing it, and we don't even realize we're doing it. Now, that being said, people need to become more self-aware of themselves. I am amazed of how many people are absolutely not self-aware about themselves. You say, well, how do you know that? Go to Walmart. You're trying to get down the aisle, and they're with their buggy in the middle of the aisle. There's three of them talking, and they're not moving, are they? You need to get down the aisle. Now, now here's the human thing to do, but some humans don't go to Walmart. Um, here's the human thing to do. Pardon me, let me move my buggy and let you buy. This, this keep on talking. You know why? The world spins around them. This is their world. They're the center of their universe. You're trying to go down the aisle and, and, and people are, you know, they're not self-aware and they really don't care. Let's just be honest. They don't care. It says 10 items are left, less, 20 items are less. They got 100. They don't care. They're not self-aware. They could not care about you. Or you're trying to go down the, uh, the parking lot and someone's trying to back out inside of you or, you know, going to hit you or block the road. Or there's a parking place that will come available in 30 minutes. Okay. Soapbox is coming. There's a parking lot, uh, space coming available in 30 minutes. And by golly, they're going to wait 30 minutes till they back out. And you're behind them. And, and all these people who are waiting 30 minutes need to walk from the other side of the parking lot. They could use the exercise. <laughs> Become self-aware. It will help you. It is your friend. So what do we do? Okay. Why do we become envious and jealous of other people's giftedness and not develop our own. Are we threatened? Why? Are we insecure? Why? Are we frightened? Why? These are good questions. But this is what we do. We compare. Don't compare. There's nobody like you. There's no one who has your giftedness. This is what I know from the scripture. If you're a believer and you have allowed the Holy Spirit to come into your life and to work in your life, you are gifted by the Holy Spirit. This, this is not even debatable. The Bible says the Holy Spirit gifts everyone in the body of Christ. Your gift may not be mine, might not be yours, but you know what I need to do? I need to quit envying your gift, your talent, and I need to quit being envious of your gift and your talent and not compare. Whenever I compare, I always lose. They're either skinnier than me, richer than me, better looking than me, or whatever than me. Listen, don't compare. You will always lose that battle. What are you doing comparing? God does not compare you. Appreciate other people's giftedness. Instead of competing with it, appreciate it. Just say, you are marvelously gifted. 
That is a wonderful gift to me, the body of Christ, to our business, to our family. So don't compare. Appreciate other people's giftedness. Recognize, here is a no-brainer, other people do things better than you. <laughs> and you do some things better than them. You have your unique giftedness and they have their unique giftedness. But what happens is we have to realize our own giftedness and instead of competing with people, develop your own. Quit putting your focus in the competition with somebody else's giftedness. Spend time at getting better at what you do. They may be more artistic than you. You may be a better manager than them. They may be better at this, but I'll guarantee you, you're better th than them at this over here. You and I need to appreciate our own giftedness. Instead of envying people, let's emulate the good things that they have. Because envy is never good, right? So we can learn from somebody else's giftedness. So I have to have the right attitude about this. Now, everybody, let's just take me for an example. Everybody has a different style. Everybody has a different way they do things. I preach, I teach, I have my style. There's other great preachers, other great ministers. I'm trying to be one. Listen, if I try to duplicate what they're doing, I'm a poor imitation. God made you an original. Don't die a copy. A lot of people die copies. Or we go through our life, and whether it's sports or music or singing or business or, you know, whatever it is. It could be anything. And we, we spend our time competing with somebody instead of developing what God's given us. It's hard to bless somebody you're in competition with. It's hard to be on a team with someone you're in competition with. What you do, you'll break the relationship. You'll break the team. You think you're doing the right thing, but subconsciously you'll use some excuse when the underlining factor is that you're competing with someone, you're envious or you're jealous of someone, and all the time you should be developing your own gift instead of competing with somebody else's gift. Has anyone ever heard of George Martin? Okay, nobody. So this is going to be a revelation for you. Has anyone heard of the Beatles? Okay. Let me ask this group over here. Anybody heard of the Beatles? Okay. George Martin took the Beatles, brought them in to Abbey Road Studio, recording studios. The Beatles were unrefined. They were playing in bars, clubs. Nobody really knew who they were. Someone recommended the Beatles to him. And when he heard them, he began to develop them. Now, they took offense at that. They thought they were already stars. How many of you know they weren't already stars? George Martin, as far as I know, never sang on one of their albums. But he is called the fifth Beatle. Because without him, you would have probably never heard of the Beatles. He recommended the songs. He played some of the instruments. He put together some of the, uh, the albums. Um, uh, they, they said that he was the most instrumental person 
in their lives to make them a success. You know what he did? He concentrated on his strength, didn't say, I want to be the fifth Beatle. I don't want to get up there and play all the, the music in the band and sing with them. But it was for him, his management, his ideas, his vision that made them what they were. And they acknowledged that later in their life that he is the fifth Beatle. What happened? He used his talents. He used what he had to get them and elevate them a little bit higher. And if you and I don't have the right attitude, we will try not to push people forward. We'll try to push them down. And when you push people down, it never lifts you up. And if you push them back, it never moves you forward. Both getting quiet in here. Folks, I'm going to tell you, this is a real issue that if we don't have the right perspective of it, it will dog you all the days of your life. And you and I should be able to bless someone and not compete with them. We should be able to partner with them instead of push them down. You've heard this. You never have to put a lid on a bucket of crabs. You know why you never have to put a lid on the bucket of crabs? They'll never, they'll never get out of the bucket. Because every time one reaches up to try to get out of the bucket, you know what the other ones do? They reach up and grab put it down. How many of you know some crabby people? <laughs> they're not trying to lift people up. You know what they're trying to do? They're always trying to pull them down on their level. Listen, if you get someone on your level, it will never lift you up. So we have to be careful that we don't have the wrong perspective about this. Now, let me close this out. Let me give you four quick things that will give you and I a healthy perspective. And I know time's running out, but you've got an extra hour of sleep. You're okay. Okay, here's number one. Understand who and whose you are. Understand who and whose you are. Now, I feel right now in my spirit, some of you are going to leave, and, and, and you, I've stroked your fur backwards. I sense it right now. Some of you are going to leave, and I've stroked your fur backwards. But I've done it in love and in Jesus' name, okay? So we're good. Now, you and I have to understand who and whose we are. You are created in the image of God. He formed you and knew you in your mother's womb. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. You're unique. You're one of a kind. No one has your gift. No one has your personality. No one has your management style. No one has the gifts that you have. You are unique. You're one of a kind. When God made you, he threw away the mold. No one has your thumbprint. No one has your eye print. You are a very special person. Here's number two. Realize you have a purpose. Not their purpose, your purpose. You have a purpose. You were created for purpose. You are not a wandering generality. You are created in the image of God. No other thing in the universe is like you, created in the image of God, and you have purpose. You're a mother, you're a father, you're a grandparent, a friend, a worker, an entrepreneur, you're a doctor, you're a lawyer, a teacher, a visionary, a dreamer, a believer. You are created for purpose. There is a purpose for your life. And you realize that you have to understand you're not here by accident. You are not a wandering generality. Here's the problem around the world. People are fed and taught you are just an accident. You became you through the goo through the zoo. 
Our kids are being fed that in school. They get a bigger dose of it in college. Let me tell you, heads up. You are created by Almighty God. You are created because he loves you. And he has a purpose for you. And he has good thoughts about you. So, you have to understand you have purpose. Number three, become a person of forgiveness to yourself and other people. You have to be a person of forgiveness to others and yourself. Hey, newsflash, everybody fails. Everybody's faltered. Everybody has messed up. So, what do we do? Well, we ask God for forgiveness. And why would you want to hold on to what God has already forgiven you about? Why would you want to hold on to what God said he would forgive you? All we have to do is ask him. And if we're sincere, how many of you know the Bible says that he is faithful and just to forgive us of all of our iniquities? How many? All of them. Now, he doesn't want us to sin. He doesn't want us to stay in sin. But he will forgive us of all of our iniquities. Now, sometimes we don't feel worthy of that. But I'll guarantee you, he is bigger than our sin. And his mercy and his grace is wonderful. The Bible says it's new every morning. How many of you need it every day? I do. Because, um, you know, I'm the imperfect preacher. That shock you? And you're the imperfect person too. So you're going to make mistakes. You're going to say things, do things wrong. And you need his mercy every day. And if I don't receive that forgiveness, if I don't give that forgiveness, you know what it produces? It produces bitterness. I can be bitter to myself. I can be bitter to you. And if I allow that to come, the Bible says that a root will spring up and it will bear fruit. And it will be a horrible thing, but it's a good thing that he has mercy and grace. In Psalm 136, as the Holy Spirit moves on the psalmist to write the Psalm 136, every verse in that psalm has this line in it. His mercy endures forever. Say that with me. His mercy endures forever. I don't know what that psalmist was going through that day. I don't know what his week was like. I don't know what his month was like. I don't know what was going on in his life. But as he wrote that psalm, at every verse, he would tag it with this. His mercy endures forever. How many of you know you need his mercy to endure forever? We we all need the mercy of God. And so we have to have these keys to keep our right perspective. Here's the last one. You have to keep moving forward and making progress. Now, this is what it looks like in Paul's life. I press to the mark, the high calling of God. That's what it looks like in Paul's life. What's ironic about this is when Paul wrote that, he knew he was fixing to die. He he knew his life was going to be cut short. But he still said, I am going to press to the mark, the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. Now, this is what happens to a lot of people. They die before we bury them. There's a lot of people, they die before we bury them. They can die at 30, they can die at 40, they can die at 50. We're just waiting for the funeral. 
And, and this is what can happen to you. Your, your dreams can be dashed. Your hopes can be dashed. Your, your vision can be dashed. You, you can have all these hurts and these wounds. And now you've checked out. God never meant for you to check out. He alone decides the appointment of the days that you have. Not you, not me. He alone decides that. So until then, say that with me, until then, let's say it again, until then, I'm going to keep moving forward and I'm going to keep making progress. I'm going to stay positive until the end. Because you never know. You never know. You may be walking along at 80 and God shows up and he says, Hey, Moses, the best part of your life is just about to happen. Really, I'm 80. And God says, so what? The best part of your life is just about to happen. This is what we do. It's kind of ingrained in our culture. We get so old, we check out. You know what? I've never read that in the Bible. Have you? We check out. We quit serving. We quit teaching. We, we quit ministering. We, we, we quit loving. We, we kind of get in front of the television, kick back in the recliner. We're done. And God is saying, don't stop. Keep moving. Make progress. Or, or it could be that you're 75 and you're rocking along and God shows up and he says, hey, Abe, I think you need a baby. And Abraham is going, 75. And for 25 years, nothing happens. And then at age 100, are y'all getting this? At age 100, God says, Abraham, I'm going to cause you to literally change the world and all the nations of the earth will be blessed because of you at 100 years old. Keep moving. Make progress. Keep going forward. Don't stop. Remain in faith. Keep believing God because if you don't, you'll have the wrong perspective and you'll see the rest of your life in the wrong light of how God wants you to see it. You see, the Bible is full of pretty good advice. Matter of fact, how many of you know in your car, in the glove box, they'll give you the manual to your car? Here's the manual to your life right here. This is the manual to your life. This makes it work. And if you'll do what it says... Guess what? It works. You say, oh, but pastor, you don't understand. My brothers threw me in a pit. And I heard them talking about killing me. And I've been in slavery and in prison. And I've got all these habits and hang-ups. And God comes along and says, good, you're able to be used by me, aren't you? And what we thought was God trying to get us, He's trying to position us. So if you've reached a challenge in your life or somebody said, hey, you need, to, you need to bounce this up or you need to get this right, don't be mad at them. Goodness gracious. They may have just done you a favor. They may have just said, I'm going to get you on the right track here. Quit competing 
with other people. Be who you ought to be. Quit trying to be something you're not. Let me tell you, we make poor counterfeits. But nobody going to be as good of Mike as Mike is. I'm just telling you. I, I'm the best one like me you ever saw. And I may be the last one you'll ever see. But I'm the best one. Stand with me. We are so thankful you joined us today. We would love to hear from you at rayofhopepodcast at gmail.com. Let us know how you were encouraged and how we can pray for you. Remember, Christ in you is the hope of glory, and hope changes everything.